Hi, welcome everyone to yet another episode of Divinity Connecting the Dots. I'm your host, Navi Jaswal, and I am just so, so, so privileged to bring in our February of 2023 episode a very dear friend of mine um, who's dialing in and joining us all the way from India, Maitri, Dr. Maitri Shankar. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, why don't you actually go ahead and introduce our viewers to all the wonderful work that you've done and, and all the wonderful activism and physician work that you're doing at this point. Hi, Nivi. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I'm Maitri. I'm Dr. Maitri Shankar. I'm a nuclear medicine physician. So uh, nuclear medicine is a super specialty in radiology and medicine. We basically look at uh, cancers, we treat cancers, we diagnose heart disease uh, and uh, many other conditions, very targeted organ specific uh, kind of for imaging, diagnostics and therapies. Uh, I've been doing this for past 27 years. I, I trained in the US at the UCLA VA Wattsworth program and uh, I was practicing uh, in uh, Calabasas, Lancaster area for uh, 12, 12, 12 years before moving back to India. Now I'm based out of Bangalore. Uh, been practicing here for about uh, over the, a decade now. I head the team at uh, Astor CMI uh, Hospitals. It's a branch of uh, internationally uh, accredited hospitals. Um, about uh, three, four years ago, I also got both certified in, I got interested in in lifestyle medicine. Uh, I got both certified in that and uh, uh, we, we've been uh, doing uh, work uh, through through a foundation, uh, the Green Foundation India as a co-founder. Um, so that's that's my professional uh, profile. And I have two sons uh, who uh, one, one of them is back in the US now. And uh, my second one is also in his final year of uh, engineering. Uh, I love gardening, I love cooking, and uh, spreading awareness basically has become my uh, passion and my, uh, uh, you know, weekend project, if you will. Uh, yeah. so. and, and you've also written an amazing book, and you're a TEDx speaker as well. You're an author, you're a newly minted author. I have uh, the book that I've gone through, and, and I just wanted to hold it up for our viewers to see. And... Um, Obviously, they can tell now that our um, episode title is even named, uh, you know, after it's, it's a pretty curious title and we'll talk more about ease. So what's ease got to do with disease, you know, as you share with us your work. Um, so you mentioned that, you know, your work at this point in time after the board certification in lifestyle medicine is more around spreading awareness. So I take it that you're a whole food plant-based vegan at this point and uh, give us a little insight into what made that change happen. Yeah, I, I am predominantly uh, uh, vegan. Uh, and I think about three years ago, uh, I myself was diagnosed with uh, diabetes. That's when the real change or, you know, the uh, bulb on moment, I would call, I think started for me. Um, it's it, it didn't happen overnight. It's It's been a journey uh, over the years. And uh, uh, it's uh, uh, after doing a lot of research and reading, and that's when I was looking for all options to control my diabetes without medications. Uh, you know, nuclear medicine is a field we uh, interact very closely with the endocrinologists who are also the uh, champions in uh, treating diabetes. And surprisingly, when I myself was diagnosed, uh, everybody had the same solution, the same medication, the same dosage that was their advice. Uh, somehow intuitively, uh, uh, I was looking for other uh, options and uh, there was this concept of reverse diabetes and I, I have worked with doctor uh, you know cardiologists previously also in the concept of reversing uh, heart disease so that kind of got me interested and the more I read uh, the more convinced I was uh, and uh, to to be super convinced that's when I did my boards and you know that's that's been uh, that's been one of the major reasons why I have turned into um, whole food, plant-based, low-fat kind, kind, kind of a diet these days. Absolutely. And such a non-inflammatory and such a therapeutic way of living. I mean, it's something that is checks all the three boxes for the environment, for animal rights, compassion, and at the same time, our own personal physical health and emotional health, dare I say. Um, so 
you know, you've mentioned, um, and and as the you know our viewers can see as well in the show notes, you're a nuclear medicine physician. That sounds truly heavyweight. You know, you've got to demystify it for uh, me and for our viewers. What does that mean? Yeah, sure. Uh, so nuclear medicine uh, is uh, basically like radiology. We do a lot of scans, uh, and we also we use special radioisotopes. Uh, we tag the uh, medication with a tracer which emits radiation mm -hmm. and, and that is given inside the body either through IV or through mouth depending upon what have you and that goes and settles in different organ systems we are interested in. It's very precise targeted uh, way of looking at things and treating uh, diseases as well. Uh, I have a couple of pictures if, if I can. The first four pictures are, are on this uh, uh, topic. So uh, we do PET CT scans. The big orange thing you're, you're seeing there is cancer and that's glucose uh, which is being utilized by the cancer cells and uh, that that kind of shows uh, the, the rate of glucose metabolism in cancer cells is significantly higher than normal cells so it helps us uh, stage uh, cancer and uh, the next slide is about a heart scan uh, we are looking at how the heart behaves at stress and rest the two circles are showing the amount of blood flow into the heart uh, one is at stress and one is at rest. And if there's any change because of the blockages in the heart. So we look at the functioning aspects, not just the anatomy, like a CT or an MR would just show the size and the location uh, and such. But we actually see how well those heart cells or any other organ system cells are working okay. during specific conditions. Uh, in this case, at stress. So it gives an idea how the patient would uh, behave if subjected to physical, emotional, or surgical stress. Can he withhold that kind of uh, stress? Uh, is medication needed to uh, you know, help his heart perform better if at all he's subjected to that kind of a stress? Yeah. And uh, things like that. So uh, we also do the next slide. You can see we do these uh, gut scans. Um, that's like moss growing on, on, on the bricks and in the same way the gut microbes grow on the food that we eat and we do specific scans to look at the transit of food in 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 the gut and the next uh, picture shows you a, a brain picture and that's the dopamine activity we do these scans and we we, we can see how uh, uh, quickly uh, the brain responds to uh, dopamine and certain areas of the brain uh, light up and the reason I like to show this is the foods that we eat you know they, they have a lot of sugar and oil and salt in them and uh, that's what the marketing uh, you know the uh, giant food giants tap into these kind of uh, pleasure trap circuits yeah. uh, so essentially this is what uh, nuclear medicine is we look at the function of a cell at, at a microscopic level uh, how cells of different organ systems work when they are subjected to different type of stimuli from outside it could be food it could be stress it could be you know uh, sleep deprivation you can see the immediate effect of any kind of an external uh, stimuli uh, in the body um, uh, that, that's what uh, by using these special radioisotopes and we not only use them to make this kind of diagnosis, like the brain pattern could be different in an Alzheimer's patient or the heart patient, heart pattern could be different in a patient who have undergone bypass surgeries, so on and so, so forth. Uh, but we can also use the same tracers at much higher concentrations, higher doses to kind of treat or burn. Uh, the cancer, for example, prostate or liver or thyroid, mm -hmm. these kind of things. So uh, that's that's nuclear medicine because we are trying to tap into the nuclear energy, the radioisotopes, uh, and using them as medicine to uh, uh, both uh, diagnose and treat. Understood. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, what really stuck with me is the brain centers you know that light up with dopamine and and when we have all of these foods that are uh, designed to mm -hmm. trigger dopamine right and and i imagine that when people are on social media and they get these dopamine hits it's the same 
pattern that you might be able to see lighting up. Um, and, and that obviously has a lot of connection and, um, you know, there's obviously a hot topic of research around cravings and addictive patterns. And we know how addictive certain foods can be, especially synthetic white, you know, refined table sugar. Foods, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so have you in, in your, you know, long history of working with a diversity of para, uh, patients, have you seen people who are addicted to like junk food and sugar and, and, you know, they come in and you've seen the dopamine bulbs kind of like light up in their brains? I think it still needs to make, uh, you know, food addiction is, uh, though it's a very acceptable concept, it still needs to make into the medical diagnostic patterns, you know, into the textbooks. I think it's still where uh, hedonic eating and we can see the symptoms and we can see those patterns. Uh, 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 but I think it's, it, we are still early adapters to uh, give them the uh, exact uh, cutoffs, uh, like how we have in other disease conditions. But uh, I think it's uh, food addiction is becoming more and more accepted you know we, we celebrate around food we marvel around food and 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 the food giants know this they tap into that uh, those kind of uh, social and personal eating habits uh, so yeah so i i hope that you know as as you carry the torch forward for whole food plant-based eating and and you know uh, you've made it a mission to talk about how ultra processed animal centric food is so bad, you know, um, and, and you can also contribute to generating those cutoffs and the thresholds for, uh, you know, the impact it does on our body. Uh, hopefully. Um, I'm, I'm going to move over since you mentioned all the, you know, tapping into the sociocultural patterns, I'm going to move over to our next question. Uh, when you were introduced to the concept of whole food plant based nutrition, how did it challenge your previously held beliefs about food? Yeah, I think uh, it was not one specific like an aha moment for me. Uh, I think it was uh, the more I read and the more I researched, you know, it just it, it just was more and more convincing. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there was no two ways about it. I mean, there is a lot of uh, controversy on few things, but you can uh, very clearly see the uh, primary gain or the uh, reason why the industries involved uh, be it the dairy, be it the uh, protein, what, what have you, you know, they, there is some kind of a primary gain or a selfish interest for them to be promoting this. So that it became more and more obvious. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, self-introspection, uh, many documentaries. It, it was just around COVID and we were all doing family nights and there is so much information out there. Uh, and the cherry on the cake was my uh, lifestyle medicine certification. You have so yeah. many national and international bodies now, uh, you know, British, American, Indian, uh, all over the world. Uh, all the uh, subject matter specialists are kind of uh, conquering on one thing, uh, which is the diet. Food is medicine in itself. And uh, whole fat, low, you know, whole food, uh, uh, plant-based, low-fat kind of foods are are. Uh, 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 it's simply the way to go. It's not only reducing the inflammatory burden in the body, uh, it's also great for a better planet and there is also, uh, you know, uh, uh, ethical component to it. Uh, so uh, I think uh, the, the more you uh, understand, uh, I think you can see the uh, uh, selfish interest of the uh, marketing campaigns or these kind of uh, things which are kind of creating, uh, uh, giving out the wrong information, even at a level of setting the guidelines, be it the cholesterol cutoffs or be it the MyPlate. And I think it was the Canadian task force which recognized this much, much early on and uh, made the blue circle into water now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's enough calcium in plant-based foods. There is enough uh, iron. There is enough protein in plant-based foods. So uh, there is a lot of uh, myths and uh, misinformation floating out there because they've been fed this constantly over the past many, many, many years. And it's going to take a while for them to, for us to teach them or for the others to unlearn what they have learned and become more and more aware yeah. of uh, 
of 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 the basic uh, you know numbers out there they speak for themselves so, yeah. yeah absolutely i agree with you and, and you know you mentioned something really interesting that even the the thresholds and the cutoffs in the medical community around you know total cholesterol and what's accepted and so on uh tend to be you know guided uh by what you know, they probably see has become the norm and, and then you normalize that uh, from the general population doesn't mean that that's normal for the human being. Um, could you give us a couple of examples of that, you know, where you feel yeah. that, you know. Yeah, like look at the cholesterol cutoffs. It's It's been changing since 2010. It's these are the guidelines which come out every five years, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it used to be uh, 300 and then they said there is no limit really. Now they say it's as low as, uh, reasonably achievable so it's been changing over the years we, we know that and the ldls too the cutoffs we right now use about 150 is to uh it's it's the cutoff for treatment uh, if it's anything about that that's when you need to treat but if at all the ldls are at a level of 70 say or even lower uh, the atherosclerosis process doesn't even get triggered it doesn't even start sure. so that the cutoff we need to aim if we are looking at true prevention not the tip of the iceberg when uh, you know there is evidence to show uh, uh, the filter needs to be much much uh, uh, lower so multiple multiple examples like this uh, where uh, whenever there is a scope for uh, you know there's a scientific body and then there is a regulatory body mm -hmm. before they send out the final guidelines as guidelines there is scope for a small uh, group of uh, they think they, there is scope for the industry to plug in their inputs so that's where everything gets uh, uh, you know uh, changed uh, what what the pure science is saying and what the evidence is showing uh, and they're giving a little bit of scope for the industry uh, to have their say and that gets tweaked whichever way they, they want to promote yeah. uh, animal protein or they want to promote dairy products uh, you know that that, that, that is uh, I, th I think these are different in different countries mm -hmm. but uh, overall uh, there is an industry influence in absolutely yeah. and and you know uh, i also suspect that the pharmaceutical industry has a lot to do with it as well you know in terms of uh, when you diagnose at what threshold you diagnose and what then should be the first line of treatment yeah. and Obviously, yeah, yeah. you're aware uh, way better than I am that the United States is one of those, probably yeah. one of the two countries in the world where there is direct-to-patient advertising yeah. uh, of pharmaceutical, the other country being uh, New Zealand. Um, and, and you know, uh, you, you see that a lot of these pharma ads are almost like lifestyle ads, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have the fine print saying that you might yes. get psoriasis, uh, but you might have... Uh, you know, cardiac events, and you might have depression, and you know, you might die because it's uh, lethal. So it's. it's I, talk, I talk about this in my book also. Even when they look at research, when the pharma or anybody who is trying to uh, sell a product or a service, if you will, uh, it goes through series of phases of research. You know, clinical trials, phase one, phase two. There is a series, right? And uh, there is scope for biases at every level. You know, at at an investigator level, at a selector level, there are multiple. There are all the biases I possibilities I have I have described yep. and uh, it's it's like the small print it's it's like the uh, <laughs> like the you know the every pack of cigarettes has this small print so uh, one needs to be really aware of what yeah. what what it is and and I have to say that you know as um, I've I've had this uh, you know um, book with me ever since we met in in person uh, last mm -hmm. year in Bangalore right and uh, I was reading the book on my flight back to the United States and, oh, and I was like oh my goodness and I distinctly remember you know this particular chapter you're talking about and I I I have a background as a consumer marketeer you know I was sort of on the on, on the side of spreading and creating all of these addictive advertising that we're talking about, unfortunately. So I do have some corporate, you know, insider information on how that works. Um, and when I was uh, reading your book um, and, and this specific uh, chapter that you allude to, it reminded me almost of, you know, this supply chain where there's the intention then there is the marketing of it, then the regulatory and, and, you know, the consumers and how consumers receive things and everyone is different with their food habits and culture and social, all those layers come in. 
But in between, there's a supply chain. So many balls get dropped at those nodes. And those nodal points, when we look at pharmaceuticals, is really, as you mentioned, the phase one, two, three uh, you know, trials, the selector, the investigator. And, and yep. human bias uh, creeps in and the spirit of scientific inquiry and what is actually good for the patients, for good patient outcomes, um, just gets diluted and, and lost somehow. And hence, we have a huge you know, burden of disease um, and huge healthcare budgets. Um, you know, so so tell us, I'm, I'm just going to sort of move on. And, and I feel that you and I, we can talk for hours about. I so things, right? unfortunately, we've got 60 minutes for this conversation. And in about um, 15 minutes, I'm going to have our special guest come in as well. Um, you know, we'll talk more about that uh, in a minute. But I wanted to talk, uh, take a minute and talk about the foundation. And and you um, mentioned it briefly, uh, saying it's the Green Foundation India. So you have an Instagram account uh, of which I'm an avid follower of all the work mm -hmm. that you're doing there. Tell us about, um, you know, why did you set it up? What's your vision? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, it started out as a, a happy, holistic uh, space. I think I have a picture on that. Uh, uh, we've been just doing a lot of uh, workshops, uh, educative uh, kind of uh, programs. Uh, we have we, uh, we partnered as a, a knowledge partner with a few schools here, making seed balls and, you know, dispersing it back into the environment. Uh, whichever uh, we try to introduce these uh, Small, I think I have a picture of that uh, on the next slide. Uh, we have done uh, indoor gardens. We do microgreen growing sessions, healthy meal planning. Uh, in, in Navaratri in India, they, they keep the dolls. So we had these miniature gardens where you could put the dolls in them and bring it indoors. Uh, we had a very eco-friendly uh, Ganesha making workshop. There is a little picture there where yeah. it's made without the lead paints this has been going on for about six years now mm -hmm. uh, and um, and uh, recently we've been doing yoga uh, fitness sessions meditation classes uh onto my next slide i think i have them all listed there uh the uh we, we did some cooking healthy cooking classes this has been happening in the background but right. often it about three years ago uh we uh horticultural therapy and a lot of health talks we have a book club which meets here we have a butterfly club and a gardening group which all all, all the fun stuff which you see yeah. uh, natural products which are uh chemical free soap making and chemical free cleaners uh which can be uh done by bioenzymes and these are kind of popular in 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 the context here uh but uh but recently when covid struck i think if you can see the next slide uh we transferred this entire space to this uh, garden space where there, it's very fitness friendly it has an open air consultation area where we can all sit down uh, not just with the patient but also with their families because everybody needs to be involved in those kind of change making uh, things uh so it's it's uh, uh, it's uh, uh, very important to uh, recognize, uh, you know, when you're looking at uh, its, it's entire habitat, when you're making a habit change, your entire habitat is also a part, it's a part of the ecosystem. And uh, our, our, our planet Earth is not something we have inherited from our uh, older generations. But in fact, we have uh, borrowed it from our future generations, if you will. Um, and, you know, eating uh, whole food, plant-based uh, foods, are it, it leaves a lower carbon imprint and, and a lesser karma imprint, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this kind of uh, work uh, has been going on. We recently opened up uh, two weeks ago. We had kind of closed it down because of all the COVID and such. Uh, in fact, today morning we hosted uh, Dr. Uh, Mitika. She is a de-addiction specialist. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, we are uh, lining up events coming coming to the next year, and I think all of that yeah. will be on our social media handles as well. 
Absolutely. I can't wait, you know, to see everything. I am a, an avid follower of uh, everything that the Green Foundation India does. And on my next trip to India, I'd love to come over and just, you know, have a look. Absolutely. You should. We should. <laughs> yes. Love to have you here. Thank you. Um, so, you know, let's talk about your book. And and writing a book is a huge mission. You know, it takes up a lot of time, takes a lot of commitment to see the project through. And and this book is it's it's a heavy book, you know. And and it's uh, it's got lots and lots of um, essays from people, including about you know. Uh, there's one about pathy or sympathy. You know, there are some really creative titles in there as well. And and I just wanted to know where that idea uh, comes from. And what motivated you to do this? Yeah, I think, you know, when I started uh, my journey with uh, reversing my diabetes, you know, I was intensely doing research. I, I must have read about 300 books, attended many workshops and anything I could try to uh, get some more knowledge into, into this new field for me. Uh, and uh, one thing became very obvious. A lot of information was uh, uh, inaccurate. I think there was a lot more of uh, uh, things which weren't truly research proven. And uh, even if it was there, uh, even whatever information was there, easily available was very inadequate. Uh, even if it was adequate, it was kind of conforming to either American guidelines or British guidelines, not so much in the Indian context, which could be applied uh, practically to the kind of foods we eat and what kind of stuff grows here in the Indian climate. Uh, so uh, I was compiling, making notes for myself for going back and referring. And uh, the c collection just grew and grew. And, you know, over the over a couple of months uh, uh writing the book was easy you know i, I knew i it was very clear to me you know when, as, especially after i got lifestyle medicine you know, certified yeah. we have the six pillars and then what we can do towards the six pillars uh, uh and uh, that kind of thing so uh how uh the book came about uh, was uh, uh, when, when I'm talking to people and then I realize, you know, I, I wish that I could compile all this and gave it out as a really easy thing. And I wish this existed for me. I mean, somebody had done this. I wouldn't have, I would be happy to just read it and follow it. Um, there was definitely a need for this because my own physicians were kind of, uh, surprised when I told them I, I'm able to do this and my hemoglobin A1C was 7.8 and bringing it down to 5. Uh, four. Uh, I did go back up a little bit, uh, uh, but it's back again in control to a value where I don't need to take medications. So uh, essentially the diagnosis of diabetes, which was made based on certain numbers, has been reversed. Now the numbers are normal, so you got nothing to treat. And doing this reversal has been with no medications, with yeah. just lifestyle modifications. And that, that's the great part. So um, many physicians, they, we just write, you know, exercise or eat healthy. That's an easy part. But how do you do this? You know, how do you have them build the necessary skills? It's, it's having the willpower is one thing to do the right thing or not, not so much the right thing. But how do you make these right things easy, fun and sustainable long term? Because you, you might do it one day or two days and then you're going to it's going to go off track. So, uh, but there is a technique and a method. It's, it's kind of reprogramming uh, your habits and uh, making what, what is called cerebral, making it basal, making, yes. you know, it takes uh, time for those uh, neurological pathways to be strengthened and uh, for the conscious mind to start doing it in, with an unconscious pattern. Uh, so, and the, it, it, there is a system and a way to do it. And uh, I was very uh, uh, spiked to put it, you know, somebody needs to do it. And uh, in, in a very Indian context, for for example, uh, kale and broccoli, that, that they don't grow here in India. 
I have been my garden won the national award, so I've, I've been growing a lot of things over the years. But a lot of other about 20, 30 herbs and grains grow with the same equal uh, phytonutrient or the micronutrient content. So what are they? And once you grow them easily, in what dishes can you use them? So the first three or four chapters are basically on these kind of things, what 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 foods you can grow and a lot of confusion about um, uh, the type of cookware or the cooking techniques. A lot you can you can, uh, you know, water saute and so many new techniques, you know, why use why use not don't use uh, 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 nonstick. A uh, lot of uh, it, I, I can go into detail about it, but I'm, you know, it's, it's all in, in the book. So three or four chapters are about that and uh, it's important to figure out the why in what makes you cry i think that is the hard hitting once you figure that out uh, and that requires you know motivational interviewing and some kind of cognitive questioning uh, and uh, the, the that chapter makes one introspect and question uh, once they understand the further journey is much much simpler uh, sleep, uh, how to manage stress, and uh, in the context of, uh, uh, and I've also tried to bring in uh, correlations between traditional wisdom, which is, you know, ancient uh, traditional wisdom in, in India, uh, be it uh, Ayurveda or many other uh, practical points which we practice to uh, modern technological advances. So kind of drawing in corollaries uh, between uh, these kind of things. Um, and you mentioned the last chapter, there were two chapters, my favorite, I think. Um, uh, there, uh, that, That's how the book goes. So we have uh, every single pillar of lifestyle medicine. Mm -hmm. Uh, sleep, stress management, and uh, substance abuse, and uh, fitness, uh, and positive psychology, which is which is which is very important part uh, in making these habit changes. There is one chapter where uh, it's important to acknowledge. Um, I think it's titled um, uh, "Limited uh, Intelligence, Infinite Ignorance." I think it's it's what we don't know is so much more than what we know. So yeah. once kind of uh, acknowledge that uh, then all the other parties be it allopathy or homeopathy it, it becomes open it's it's every system has something positive to offer it's important to recognize that and one unifying factor to all of these parties is sympathy you know you need to sympathize empathy that is what is needed to connect with the patients and yeah. once that is in place i think so that's how the whole book uh, <laughs> goes to that chapter in the end so so this is a book that you wish that somebody else had written you had when you were transitioning and uh, you've written it and compiled it for south asian audiences yourself which is uh, you know an incredible gift that you've given to our community and i hope that people will take the opportunity to please um, you know go ahead go on amazon and and get this book for themselves or for other south asians they may know of uh, you know regardless of where they're living in because um whether you're an Indian person or a South Asian person, you know, living in India and South Asia at this point in time, or you're part of the diaspora in, in any part of the world. Uh, you know, there's definitely a need for awareness around our indigenous ancient food ways that are, you know, body appropriate for us, genetically appropriate for us, which we seem to have completely lost, especially as, you know, our diets have become more and more toxic and more and more urbanized uh, and, and even westernized, you know, as I, uh, uh, if I may say. Um, and, and, you know, so it was, I was very surprised, uh, Dr. Shankar, when you reached out to me and, and you wanted to, you know, receive a contribution because I know some of the work that I do can be extremely provocative and, you know, around <laughs> colonialism and stuff. Um, I, I admire you for, courage, you know, for your courage for sort of, you know, having that be part of a book that is just so evidence based and, and scientifically written. Tell me a little bit about that, about your interest in that type of content and how do you think it can serve the, the reader? 
Yeah. See, when I wrote the book, I told you about the first half of the book. And we we also have about 40, 40 plus essays, essay contributions uh, from uh, different specialists. So that my idea was to we are talking about these diseases like diabetes, hypertension, uh, heart disease and cancer and such. Uh, it's very important to uh, have the physicians who are actually treating them before and after. Uh, so uh, kind of bringing them also into the perspective. So we've invited uh, invited uh, essay contributions with a lot of the top physicians in the country whom I have worked with over the years. And uh, we have cardiologists talking about, uh, you know, the uh, with a very uh, true perspective of how they see the disease on the table when they're just before putting in the you know doing opening up the heart or putting in the stent or the emotional uh, uh, intensity involved with the patient with the patient's family so it was very important to bring in that connect uh, for two reasons uh, one is to bring in the 360 degree approach and to also uh, put in a uh, to kind of uh, not not to scare them, but to bring in that uh, intensity that hey, if I don't do all these things right, you know these are the consequences. Kind of uh, giving, put it, laying it out there, which is very much needed. Uh, once that part was done, it, it became very evident that uh, we also need to bring in the other components. I, we've all, like yourself, uh, we've had uh, an ambassador for the India Fitness Movement uh, contribute an essay uh, with the uh, uh, good combinations of exercises to in Indian context. What what for which for you know which age group and such uh, yeah. we have a couple of uh, the, there is a contribution from uh, what kind of chemicals in the food things like that yeah. uh, uh, with you i think uh, we both were interviewed on the chef aj show i, I saw your uh, interview and uh, i was i was really impressed i learned a lot of things in that uh, I think the same week there was a patient who uh, who I was trying to uh, speak about, uh, you know, uh, whole food plant based, and the common question comes around milk, and uh, it's kind of. Uh, um, uh, uh like it's 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 a diet approved by the gods or you know that kind of uh, it, it's very hard to uh, kind of uh, uh advise in 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 such a uh, uh when it's so deep rooted it's where do you start you know it's it's not it's not something i can do in in a conversation or a consultation in five minutes or it's going to take a lot longer than that uh and also i remember uh, i couldn't connect the dots as well as you did frankly uh, i mean I couldn't even remember half of the things, but what you were saying, it it made true sense to me. Uh, it all fitted in the parts of the puzzle. And I also went back and researched a few things. You know, it, it just added to the whole uh, thing. And uh, I think that's a, that's a story which needs to be told. And I think you do it the best. So uh, it, it, it had to come from you. So I saw the value of it, which is needed. Uh, and that is a major, major step. Once they can understand uh, that uh, it's, it's a huge disconnect between their belief system, which they yeah. believe that uh, milk, cow, ghee, this is like... Uh, and it's not. It's important to uh, get those two separate or yeah. see the things uh, in clarity. Um, and that, that that was a missing link. And I think uh, uh, it has huge scope of uh, impact and enlightenment, if I, if you will. So, so yeah. That's so generous. And thank you so much. You know, I, it warms my heart to know that, uh, you know, uh, this book um, has my contribution and, and that you feel that the readers who will read it will really, uh, you know, feel enlightened with uh, being able to connect those. You're absolutely right. You know, there's so much uh, symbolic in our social and cultural and religious life that sometimes there is a risk of a very linear um, interpretation of it. And, and then when uh, you look at the industry, uh, it sort of, uh, you know, has expertise in being able to pick up those nuggets and twist them and distort them in a in a way, um, uh, you know, for the consumers their own profit. Um, anyway, you know, I, I remember that when 
you know, I made the transition from my previous, you know, career to, to this one. Uh, it, it didn't mean that I stopped being a marketeer. It was just that I was choosing to market a very different product and very different mm -hmm. service. And, and uh, you know, my objectives had changed. Um, but it became very difficult for people in my tribe of, you know, where I come from in the processed food and beverage industry to sort of recognize me or mm -hmm. even to sort of wrap their arms around so what yeah. is she doing now? You know, what, what does Nivi do now? And we really can't figure it out. Tell me about some of the challenges that you've encountered with um, the physician community and how do they receive your personal transformation and, and your the professional impact that it has had? I think uh, there, there are always two sides to the coin. Uh, first of all, well, nuclear medicine is something, uh, it's it's a super speciality, you know, there is really, it's something very niche and uh, uh, and I'm, I'm already doing very well in that. And suddenly I'm trying to, uh, you know, it, is you become a dietitian, like what, what's going on? Like, I think that, that is something <laughs> which I'm not able to wrap my <laughs> head around still. Uh, but uh, this is my weekend, uh, you know, uh, project, but it, it's going to slowly come in. The, just uh, two weeks ago, uh, uh, a surgeon, you know, when they are having these sessions with their patients uh, they had brought me in and I, I also got a chance to speak about it uh, and uh, that was two three weeks ago and uh, last week we did another event with the endocrinologist in the hospital so uh, uh, I think it's it's a slow buy-in but it's happening uh, it's not going to happen overnight and uh, uh, it starts with uh, lifestyle modification and, uh, you know, vegan is the last item. It's, 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 it's going to happen slowly. It's like one small habit at a, at, in one uh, sitting. Uh, that's how I am trying to, uh, uh, you know, not offending anybody or uh, uh, not having them shut their uh, uh, receiving or the antennas up front. <laughs> Uh, so it's important to understand where they are coming from and uh, try to suggest, uh, be it the physician or the patient for that matter, and uh, uh, package the information in a, a way it's better received, like how we give tablets and medications, you know, there's a coating or it's packaged in such a way that uh, it delivers it at the right time with the right dose so uh, that's been a challenge and uh, I, I'm still working on it but overall it's positive I think uh, uh, weight loss I think it's very clear uh, diabetes no second thoughts about it it's established uh, heart disease and cancer it's going to happen I mean I think cancer the role is in uh, more so in the prevention of recurrence uh, there is no scope for reversal or it's it's too big of a talk we can't talk like that uh, but definitely a, a significant role in controlling uh, borderline hypertension and it has a role uh, so it's uh, it's uh, baby steps I think it, it, it will uh, you know, eventually we are all early adapters, so it's going to take some time. It took me like two years, right? I mean, to uh, make all the changes I needed to make uh, and sustain it lifelong. So, uh, and that was because I had a trigger. Most of them don't. So until it, it there is a trigger, is things makes it very very easy. If there is no trigger, then there is no reason, and it's even harder to kind of uh, convince them. Absolutely. Readiness for change is extremely important in patient yeah. and patient compliance. You know, yeah. and we, we know that I'm a national board certified, uh, you know, coach myself and, and I do, you know, interact with, you know, clients at the, at the I don't do it main you know, as my primary job. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed is that um, the human condition is such that when we're brought to the brink, is when we start desperately looking for solutions and, and then we want to give it our all. And the idea around prevention and, and you know uh, preventative medicine is to never even get to that point. So in lies in there an inherent you know predilection and it's like a contradiction with the human psychology and how human beings are motivated the most to mm -hmm. act on something to finally demonstrate some self-love you know for themselves. Um, and, and when they're ready to do it, sometimes the ship has sailed, you know, unfortunately. Um, as you go on forward, 
as a physician, as a practitioner of lifestyle medicine, as you figure out, you know, how to bridge what you've been doing and with everything that you want to do as an animal rights advocate, nonprofit owner, now as an author. Dr. Shankar, what is your ultimate goal and vision as you go forward? You know, what is the world that you want to see manifest? I think, uh, you know, this whole process for me now uh, has, it's, it's helped me find my ikigai, as they say. I have a picture of, uh, I think it's on the next slide, uh, what uh, ikigai is. It's like uh, finding, putting all the circles together, you know, your passion, your profession, your mission and your vocation. Uh, that has come together for me at this time point in my life. So that would mean uh, helping my patients take better care of themselves uh, in the best way, putting them in the driving seat uh, without trying to help them reduce the medications and uh, uh, addressing the root cause, if you will, with, without uh, uh, getting uh, uh, distracted with so many things around around us, keeping the focus on uh, with true uh, patient uh, benefit or what is best for them, you know, help helping them figure that out. So that's that's going to be my path forward, I would say. Yeah. And, and that's a that's a really important thing. You know, the ikigai really is what is the purpose of our lives, right? And what is our true calling? And, and it's a huge thing it's a huge milestone of you know when it's almost like enlightenment when you know like I know this is exactly what I want to do and I remember in 2018 I felt exactly the same thing it's like I found the treasure and you know here's the golden key I want to go talk about it well we're talking about treasure and golden key um, there's another gorgeous beautiful you know um, guest who's going to join us uh, Dr. Shankar I'm going to bring her on in in just a minute um, her name is Nandita Swaryoshi and Nandita is um, just absolutely fantastic you know I'm, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about you know what she does uh, in her day job um, but the, the thing is that uh, she is someone who has hugely inspired me and, and to sort of think about how activism can be done in so many different, you know, media. And uh, she's a Bangladeshi Bharatnatyam dancer who recently completed her Arangetram in uh, you know, August of 2022. 20, uh, uh, she went vegan in 2017. Um, the props, the decor, the food, even down to her makeup for her Arangetram. And she's when she when we bring her on board, she's going to talk about what an arangetram is, and it was all hundred percent vegan and cruelty free. She currently works um, at Securus as a researcher in the protein biochemistry team, and uh, but what I know about Nandita is that she's going ahead and dancing and being this beautiful activist that she is. Welcome, Nandita. How are you doing today? I'm great. Great. Thank you. It's nice to see you, Nubi. Nice to meet you, Dr. Shankar. Hi, Nandita. So nice for having you. me today. You're most welcome. So, so tell us, when did you turn uh, whole food plant-based or vegan, however you identify yourself? Uh, I, I know I mentioned 2017, but give us the... Give us the details. So I went vegan around the time of 2017. And, you know, it was also natural for me, the transition. I I don't really even remember a specific date or time. Maybe sometime in 2017. So my sister, she texts us, our whole family in a group chat saying that she's going vegan. And I didn't think too much of it at that time. And I always knew at the back of my head it was wrong to eat animals because it's because I know animals are killed, but I didn't really think too much of it. And then she always started sending me these quotes from vegan activists, and then she always sent me speeches. Then it really started to sink in. Then there was this one speech by James Wildman, which just grabbed me. He's a vegan activist, and I, I think he's the director of the Humane Age of Education, and it just like grabbed me. And I was like, what have I been doing the last couple of years, like last decades? Like, 
what have I been doing? He was explaining so nicely how unnecessary it is to eat meat and dairy, explaining the cruelty happening in the meat and dairy industry. And here's the thing, I am a, before going vegan, I was a huge meat lover. I, my favorite steak is the ribeye steak. Um, every time my mom would ask me what I would want for dinner, I would say chicken. I loved lamb. I I was the biggest meat eater in our family. And then after that, I couldn't, I was like, oh my gosh, what, what, what have I been doing the last couple of years after listening to his words? Then I remember the day after hearing his speech, I was at that time I was working in Harvard at the Harvard Institute of Medicine doing research there. And I went down to the cafeteria to grab lunch. And then there was some ramen soup bowl or something they were offering. And there were three options for protein, tofu, chicken, and shrimp. Normally I would take chicken. Then I was like, his words were just like going on in my head and I just like couldn't do it. Then I took the tofu and slowly like that, it just like, that transition just happened. Then I also, but I did, there was times like there was nothing um, there at the cafeteria that I didn't like. I mean, and then uh, there was one time I took chicken and then I was like, oh gosh, this feels so bad. What am I doing? And then I remember like, I always had this habit of taking pictures of my lunches and sending pictures of it to my sister. And my sister, would like always comment and then one time i took chicken and she was like oh i hope you're enjoying the dead body parts and like <laughs> as girls but she's right and i was like yeah and that slowly just made me more strict and i just like couldn't that's how i went vegan that's like i couldn't contribute to that anymore and it just happened so naturally and then 2017 i was the more of the transition period where it was happening i was slowly cutting out meat and dairy and then 2018 is where i would say i became very strict with myself not just diet with shoes everything everything i purchase i get 100 percent vegan cruelty free like the the like for instance boots i don't i order it from this company called um i think it's called Page. i i always order 100 percent vegan cruelty free everything made from vegan leather so i think things like that it just that's how slowly the transition happened and also constantly hearing speeches from vegan activists is what really made me vegan yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, thank you so much for sharing that because there are different strokes for different folks. And, you know, we were talking to Dr. Shankar and, and she mentioned about the impact that documentaries and reading all the research articles, she read 300 books and so on. And and the minute we find our medium and it sounds as though, you know, listening to these speeches by different activists really planted those, you know, vital seeds of cognitive dissonance in, in your mind and your heart. And um, to the point that their words were sort of echoing in your head every time you were at a, you know, food in a food moment. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty interesting, you know, how uh, change, behavior change occurs for each one of us. It's such an intensely personal, unique journey. You know, it's as, as unique as our fingerprints. Um, but then there are some, you know, commonalities as well. Mm -hmm. um, you perform classical dance. I see that you're wearing, uh, you know, a South Asian traditional dress. It's a beautiful sari that you have. Yeah. The sari is from Bangladesh. It's an artificial silk sari I got from Bangladesh. I, I, I wanted to wear a Jamdani sari from mm -hmm. Bangladesh, I, but I just didn't have any here. Yeah. I mean, I have a ton of them back in Bangladesh. And also Jamdani saris are a little difficult to wear. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yes. So, and, and you're a classical dancer. So tell us, about that also educate our viewers about what is an arangetram and what is the significance of it okay yeah yeah so um the type of classical dance i do is um indian classical dance i do is um called bharatnatyam so bharatnatyam originates from tamil nadu and it's the oldest and purest form of traditional Indian dance. Like the Western ballet, it governs the entire part of the body. The, um, the student has to learn um, its years of hard work and training, knowing the hand gestures, the hand movements, the intricate detailed footwork of it. So um, what an Arangetram is, Arangetram simply means ascending to stage. It's where your guru is presenting you to the audience as a first time 
professional dancer, through years of hard work and training, you are presenting your work in front of the feet of Lord Nakraj and with the blessings of your guru. That's basically what an Arangathram is. It's a two-hour performance where you dance for two hours, showing your work to the your years of hard work to the audience. And so the significance of an Arangathram is just having the ability and the stamina to perform a two-hour performance for performing a variety of dances. Some dances are pure dance with complicated footwork showing the beauty of rhythm. The others, there's also some storytelling happening mm -hmm. with your pure abhinaya acting, storytelling, yeah. and some of our combination of both storytelling and pure dance. So that's really what the significance is to have that ability to form all sorts of styles of dance with storytelling and pure dance. Yes, thank you so much for sharing that. And I had the amazing privilege to be at your Arangetram, you know, with my family and a couple of other friends. It was just awesome because, uh, you know, to see everything that you've mentioned, the choreography of it and, and the fact that I knew from before the hard work that you put in to try and get, you know, vegan gungru. Gungru are the bells, uh, you know, for our viewers, the ones that the dancer ties around her. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, everything was 100%. You put in your, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Sure, if you had, uh, uh, you know, uh, have it all be aligned to your vegan ethic, yes. uh, which takes a lot of courage. Um, what was the feedback that you received from some of the non-vegan audiences? Well, so in terms of the food, I so I did everything, like you mentioned, my, my makeup, hair, everything was vegan. And for my makeup now, from the audience, everyone was like, who did this makeup? Who did this? And like, and I'm so grateful to my friend, Manasa Joyanthi, who has done um, makeup on several dancers. When I first reached out to her, I she asked me what I was looking for. And I think she meant like, oh, what kind of hairstyle I want. And, but I said, I just want everything 100% vegan, cruelty-free cosmetics. And then she was like, okay, well, and her knowledge in makeup is so much. And I feel like some other makeup would, artists would say like, okay, you know what? I've been doing this for several years. I know how it works, take it or leave it. But she, the fact that she respected so much that I wanted everything to be vegan, cruelty-free, she went out of her way to help me, guide me. I had so many trips back and forth from Sephora, so many text messages, video calls showing her this makeup and that makeup. And she's like, okay, this lip stain is too dark. Oh, there's another makeup that would work great for stage performance, but it's not vegan. So there was a lot of research we had to do to figure this out. So, and everyone was asking me, who did your vegan makeup? Who did me? And I was sharing her contact to everyone. So I'm so grateful to her. I got great response on the on my makeup, my guru was saying like, oh my gosh, she did an excellent job with everything. And my costumes were 100% artificial silk. Everybody loved my costumes. And but the food now, I used, um, I got impossible meatballs mm -hmm. for one of the dishes. Because I mean, my main motive, motive was I wanted people to know that vegan food can be great. Because I, yes, I, yes. Uh, the tea and coffee was served with oat milk. The, there was impossible meatballs and then the um, what's a fruit custard was made with oat milk. So I told them everything 100% vegan, cruelty-free. Now, some of the audience members, um, when they were having dinner, they were one, I, one of my coworkers was sharing with me that she was really hesitant to try the impossible meatball. Like uh, she wasn't sure, she took one. And then my friend who was going for seconds was like, hey, can you get me three more? <laughs> so the, everyone was saying the food was great. Everyone loved impossible meatballs. And um, th th these were all non-vegans. They loved that. They loved the fruit custard. And now there were some I heard that did not eat <laughs> at all because 
I, there was some like Bangladeshi family friends of my parents who came and they can't eat without meat or anything. So, and, and I think after my speech, they just didn't eat. <laughs> so they left without eating because they can't eat without meat. So that was one thing. And there was always, I mean, so overall 98% of the feedback was great. Now at the end of the performance, you know, there's always somebody who has to give negative feedback. <laughs> somebody was attacking me. Uh, this um, family friend of mine, this he's known me since I was a baby. It's my parents' friends, an uncle of mine. He was saying, oh, so um, plants are alive. I was asking me, plants are alive. Plants have feelings too. Their lives matter. Well, and then it, it was just like that. I was like, okay. Then I just said, oh, plants are not sentient beings. They don't have a central nervous system, a peripheral nervous system. Then I, I didn't want to go too much into it during the day of my performance. So that yeah. was just one negative feedback but overall yeah. it was everyone loved it my cousin yeah. was texting me the day after she's in harvard law school and she said i just love how you did everything vegan i was sharing yeah. it everyone in, in my class so i got great feedback yeah that's that's absolutely great we're unfortunately running out of time so i'm okay. going to be pretty speedy with my couple of next sure. questions but what i also want to do is uh you know receive all the uh, information uh, for different people. It takes a village to put together 100% Arangetram, so we can include those for the audience's benefit um, in the show notes. Uh, you know, that would be great uh, and, and drive some vegan business for <laughs> well-intentioned vegan entrepreneurs. Um, so, uh, you know, my next question is to uh, Dr. Shankar. Um, uh, Dr. Shankar, you've spoken about the bone health benefits. You know, and the reason I'm going to bring about uh, bring out um, or talk about bone health is because Nandita performs Bharatnatyam, yeah, and it's a classical dance form, and it it's it taxes your cardiovascular system, you know, but at the same time you have to have strong bones to be able to perform, uh, you know, long lengths of time. Um, you spoken about bone health benefits of Indian classical dance specifically at the World Osteoporosis Conference in Italy. So very quickly, if you can give us the dibs on uh, how does dance promote bone health? You know, please connect those dots for us. Oh yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, uh, any, any form of uh, exercise or dance or any form of dance essentially is a whole set of body movements. It requires stamina, uh, that is, it, which takes a lot of long practice sessions and it requires strength, which is uh, dependent on the bone mineral density. The more you use it, the more uh, pressure and the uh, 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 joint movements are onto the bones. It strengthens the development of the bones early on uh, from the younger years to the older years. And uh, dance, not just the bones, also uh, there is a component of flexibility, uh, which is uh, to the uh, tendons and the ligaments, which attach the bones to the muscles and to each other. So uh, uh, these also get uh, strengthened over time. Wow. Uh, and repetitive movements uh, help in uh, developing the muscles. So for all of these, good food or diet is an essential, essential uh, component. And uh, we, in fact, uh, showcase this at the World Congress of Osteoporosis. The Green Foundation used to be called the... Uh, and that, that those were the days when dairy was hugely promoted for the calcium and uh, bone health. And uh, one of our events, we have had uh, different forms of art forms. We had ballet, we had salsa, we had different uh, uh, bhangra. We had many, many different art forms, not just dance. We had sculptors, painters depicting this uh, kind of connection between uh, exercise and uh, bone health in particular. But now what has become even more evident is exercise is so important, not just to bone health, to every organ system. Uh, it fights, help you, it helps you fight depression, it helps you uh, fight uh, diabetes, any, any organ system for that, the brain, the heart, you take it, you name it. There is a definite connection between, between exercises. And, uh, uh, um, you know, it's also important to cross train and muscle build for dancers uh, to uh, kind of uh, uh, develop enough strength to prevent injuries because these are hard techniques. You know, they look so beautiful, but it's not it's very hard to maintain those postures, which are not so easy otherwise. Oh, so, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, uh, you know, uh, talking about this. And there you go, Nandita, you know more about the classic yes. the benefits to bone mineral density and yes. then so on. Um, Nandita, last question to you and, and you know, give me a shout out uh, in like less than 20 seconds, if you can, what message would you like to leave for young classical dancers out there? Okay, so um, my message to what young classical dancers would be to ask yourself why who, those who are dancing and those who are passionate dancers, ask yourself why you're dancing. And at the same time that we all know the hard work it takes to be a Bharatanatyam dancer, if you're putting all those hours of work in every day, ask yourself if you would want anyone to get hurt or tortured in the process. And just to be mindful of the products that you use when you're performing, like the makeup, the kungurus. Oh, and by the way, here are my vegan kungurus, which uh, are made from vegan leather. That maybe help me for the first time. <laughs> yeah, the, these are vegan kungurus. They're made in Greece. Um, Nivi actually helped me find that. I couldn't find anyone who made kungurus, and uh, she's based in Greece. So, I mean, I took all this time to get these vegan kungurus, and because uh, there's no, but nobody makes them. Uh, so, like, just to be mindful going forward to dancers, like, of ask yourself if you, you would want anyone to be hurt, any animal to be hurt or tortured going forward, doing something you love, you're so passionate about, that makes you so happy. So just put in that extra effort and just to be mindful of the products that you're using when you're practicing Bharatanatyam. Well, what I would we're, we're speaking with Nandita Sprayoshi, who's a vegan activist and an amazing classical dancer. We're speaking to Dr. Maitri Shankar, um, who's joined us you know, live from India. She's a nuclear medicine physician, also both certified in lifestyle medicine. Until next month, it's been great talking to you both. Um, and we're signing off. So thank you so much, Dr. Shankar. And thank you, Nandita. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.